Thank you for listening to The Climate Torch from Entrepreneurs for Impact. If you'd like to learn more about climate finance and startups, I write a weekly newsletter called Zero, which you can find via the footer on our website, entrepreneursforimpact.com. In these, I also write about personal development and conscious leadership with questionable attempts at humor. Finally, if you or someone you know might benefit from joining a private club for post-accelerator growth stage climate CEOs and investors, can schedule a call at our website. Our year-long cohort with just 10 to 15 executives helps members make better decisions, scale their businesses more quickly, be held accountable to their top personal and professional goals, create more time in their day, motivate their teams and work on not just in their ventures. Plus, we've got a member-only climate investor database with 550-plus corporate and project investors to help leaders become more investment savvy. Until next time, remember this. We need more than $1 trillion invested per year to hit our climate goals, and big problems mean big opportunities. So if not you, then who? And if not now, then when? All right, let's get to work, y'all. All right, uh, Kevin Schulte, uh, glad you're here, man. Uh, for those listening, uh, Kevin has been in um, uh, renewables development and finance for a very long time, despite his youthful appearance, which you can't see. <laughs> anyway, co-founding co and, and serving as CEO of GreenSpark uh, Solar uh, up in uh, uh, New York, Rochester, New York area. Uh, Kevin, uh, thrilled that you're obviously part of our uh, climate uh, mastermind, our, our first CEO and investor peer group, and, and excited to tell your story to more folks on, on the Climate Torch. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited to tell our story. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Cool, man. Well, the first one's pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, what in the heck is GreenSpark Solar and, and what makes you guys unique? So Green, GreenSpark Solar, simply put, is a uh, solar uh, solar energy development uh, and installation contractor in uh, the greater Rochester, New York area. Um, we do solar at um, all scales of distributed solar. So we have a residential solar division that's installing, you know, just around 200, 150 to 200 systems uh, this year. We have a commercial, small commercial group, which does uh, you know, solar plus uh, at, solar at small business and local institutions and other, uh, you know, local sort of smaller systems. And then we have a uh, engineering procurement and construction division, which does um, large scale distributed solar, where we'll install uh, nearly 50 megawatts of, of solar this year uh, that other people um, uh, have developed. So at, at our core, we're builders. Um, we are doing, you know, solar at scale here in Rochester, not viewed as the sunniest climate in the world, but it works really well here. And um, we're also now adding significant amounts of storage and uh, electric vehicle charging to uh, solar as we go. So that that's a great it's a great start for sure. Um, I think the other thing it'd be, it'd be great to talk about is uh, is your B Corp. Uh, status and kind of what that, you know, what that means. 
Yeah, so so we've been at B Corp now for six or seven years. I think we've been through the recertification process three times. Uh, being a B Corp, um, as some of you may know, means that you are subscribing through the DNA uh, governance and documentation of your business to a triple bottom line of people, profit, and planet. Uh, for us, the planet uh, is inherent in what we do. We believe that uh, providing uh, carbon neutral electricity to the grid uh, helps obviously uh, with the planet, helps with uh, ensuring that uh, the earth, which we've borrowed from our children uh, is still here for them. Uh, and then um, the profit is, is one you know natural to being a capitalist in a capitalist society. We need to make profit. We say in our business, there is no purpose without profit. And so we can't do the things that we're doing if we're not uh, successful and profitable business. And uh, we've seen that more in recent history than ever before. So that's an exciting time. And then people, um, you know, I, I've given a number of presentations to my different groups with all my staff over the couple of years, or couple, last couple of days. And um, I think what becomes important about people is when you fundamentally realize that the people that you work with will spend more of their time with you and their colleagues than they will spend uh, potentially with their own family. Uh, it's really important that they are well cared for on every level. And that is uh, fiscally, financially, that is that they enjoy their work. That is that um, they have opportunities for growth and education, um, that they have the appropriate benefits to make sure that they're successful both in their working career and also in retirement um, to make sure they're cared for with appropriate benefits and to make sure that they have all of the tools required to re remain uh, um, mentally healthy as well as physically healthy uh, through their course of employment with you. Um, and then I think that people also means your community, that you're doing something meaningful as a business, whether it's by use of your profits, volunteer time or otherwise, that you're doing something meaningful for the people that surround you. And again, we think we do that with the product, the solar and clean energy solutions that we provide. Um, but, but we think it's also meaningful for um, engagement in the community. And for us at GreenSpark, I think it's most important um, to ensure uh, our, our community work is most important to ensure that all uh, members of our community, regardless of where they fall on the income spectrum, have access to the clean energy revolution. And so as we think about it in that way, uh, one of our big goals on the people side is to make sure um, that Rochester, the third most impoverished city in the country, actually, um, uh, is, is, a, is at the forefront of providing equitable access to clean energy. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's well said. Uh, Kevin, I think I was... Um surprised to learn about about how impoverished impoverished or the kind of you know equity gap you know that exists in uh, in Rochester and I wonder you know um, one question that comes up a lot with B Corp it, B Corps is you know <clears throat> if your core business your core product is already you know quote unquote good for people or planet you know what's the real benefit uh, of, uh, of of officially certifying I mean I wonder you know in going through that process, which look is, is time, it's some cost, mostly it's, it's time. Um, was the equity, uh, the, the focus on community and equity part of, you know, something you all were inspired to do through the B Corp process? Or maybe, maybe just more broadly, what would you say to folks to say, 
hey, look, I don't need to officially certify. Like, we're a great company and we're doing good things for people on the planet. So it, 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 there's so many roots in that question, and I don't know that I have time to get into all of them. There are roots when you're the leader of a business and the leader of a group of human beings that are, you know, purpose-driven and, and trying to do right for the world. The, the, the number one thing for me is that you bring your whole self into that process. And so there are roots in my own work with impoverished communities uh, in my youth and growing up. There are works in, in, in there are roots in my um, um, uh, activism uh, and in protest work over the course of my life. There are roots all over the place for me personally. And then there are roots in business, right? And so I go back to, uh, we installed the first wind turbine at a ski resort in the world at Jimney Peak uh, in Western Massachusetts in 2007. And uh, through the course of that project, I became very good friends with the CEO, which is a guy named Brian Fairbank. And uh, in our relationship, he promised me that he would not get a single new skier to his mountain for having installed a wind turbine, which is an iconic symbol uh, on top of the mountain. Um, and so I challenged him. I said, you're wrong. I said, the world is changing. People believe that they should do things uh, for the benefit of the environment. And I think people will choose Jimmy Peak because you've gone green. And so he marketed around that. And then at the following President's Day, President's Day of 2008, he did a uh, survey of anybody buying a new uh, um, lift ticket for that weekend. And 35% of the people chose Jimney Peak because of its Go Green initiatives. And so that to me goes all the way back to um, why is it important? Because as the world becomes aware of the challenges we face with Mother Earth, right? We um, can market and sell and be a part of those communities that are aware. And we actually have a unique selling proposition that we are a B Corp. People wanna know that the contractor that's coming to their home uh, is caring for the people that are standing on their home. Mm-hmm. So you don't have a disgruntled employee or something that's going to cause problems. People want to know that it provides them comfort. So we sell around it, we market around it, uh, and it's become a very engaging um, part of who we are. So I think, yeah, we could just be a cool company that doesn't talk about it, mm-hmm. right? But uh, we have to profit, and we've used it as a tool to build our profits and differentiate ourselves from. Um, you know, uh, some other solar installers. I don't like to call solar installers competition, but from, from, <clears throat> from we've differentiated ourselves from other solar installers uh, through that certification. Yeah, right on, right on. Uh, you, you touched us on this a little bit, uh, Kevin, but maybe share more about your, your backstory, um, whether that's, you know, I'm thinking professional, but, but, but maybe some more personal that, that has led you to where you are uh, you know, today, I, I know that one thing that that I was, you know, surprised or excited to learn is that before growing a solar company, uh, I believe the number is you've developed uh, a gigawatt of wind. So not a not not a small number and and early days uh, for wind. I, I, I had the good fortune. So so the background is this. I went uh, into the conversation around going to college with my parents and they said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to help people. And at the time I was into 
uh, interesting in the in the time of a global pandemic. I was into epidemiology. I, I, I thought I would go wow. to college to study um, become a doctor and focus on epidemiology. And so I went into college to do that. And I um, <clears throat> so I was um, working in biotechnology in uh, at James, I went to James Madison University. I was working in biotechnology and then I had uh, pre-med. Uh, so I was double majoring in those two things. And uh, in my first college class with a gentleman named Dr. Jamie Weinbreak, who's now the provost at uh, UNCW, uh, um, he showed me the uh, pictograph of the greenhouse gas effect. Hmm. And uh, I looked at that. Um, and, you know, here I, I'm a you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed 18 year old. I looked at that and I said, well, well, this is like a really big problem. And I had no idea. I did not know about global warming and I didn't know about, but I said that this is a really big problem. And, and so from my first college class, I started to change my major. I switched and uh, my majors almost immediately. And, and I started to focus on uh, energy uh, systems design, the environment, public policy and economics. And so I went through a multidisciplinary program and, and, and started then. And so, so since I was 18 years old, uh, if I'm being honest, it's, it's pretty much all I've thought about. Uh, and mm -hmm. so uh, I, that's, that's my backstory. I, at the end of my college career, I was fortunate enough to spend two summers in Malta, uh, one year studying wind for the archipelago of Malta and one year um, helping them to write a combined feed-in tariff and net metering policy for the government regulated utility to accept renewables onto their grid. Mm. And uh, I, I wrote a thesis uh, that in college that was a wind uh, design of a wind farm in West Virginia at Mount Storm, which is now an operational wind farm built by Dominion Virginia Power. Mm -hmm. And through all of that, I said, I want to go work in wind turbines. I want to go work with wind turbines. I sent, uh, went to the American Wind Energy Association website and I found every member and I sent all of them a cover letter and resume, got a job in wind. Mm. Uh, a couple of years in wind power and myself and my college roommates who were working for contractors and colleagues of mine around the industry uh, all said, well, you know, it's 2000. We know 2000, 2001. We know more about this than at this point, having been in the industry for a year or two than most anybody else. So like, let's go start our own business. And so nice. they flew down to my house in Austin, Texas, we wrote a business plan for what was then sustainable energy developments. And on April 2nd, 2002, we started that business. And so we've climbed the ladder over those years from being a wind energy consultancy, uh, the largest distributed wind installer in the United States for a number of years. And then uh, after the stimulus package of 2008, the cost curve of solar and wind sort of collided. Uh, we realized that solar was the way to go. And so we've uh, built our solar business and are now, you know, solar uh, storage and, and EV charging uh, because they are what makes the most sense in a distributed setting uh, now. So that's, that's the backstory. I mean, there's not a lot, there's not a lot there. This is, this is my thing. This has been my thing my whole life. I'm pretty focused. I love it. There's not a lot there um, except a, a deep burning personal passion uh, since I was 18, my first college course. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I hear a lot of that. Uh, I mean, I can recall you know, before we, we pressed record, we, we, we shared the, the overlap of, you know, uh, uh, 12 years of Catholic schooling, um, most, mostly pros, uh, and, uh, 
and some some remnants like my long hair uh, as a as a form of protest, I'm sure somewhere subconsciously to, oh, I can't grow my hair long. Are you sure about that? Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I recall in in eighth grade, you know, writing kind of a uh, little per, like uh, personal tips on how we, we all in our house could reduce our environmental footprint, you know, for our church bulletin. Um, but but I hear you like in college, environmental science was was my jam and partly depressing, enlightening and depressing uh, until maybe maybe like you feeling extra excitement to be part of the solution, not just talking about the problems. Um, what, what, a cool journey, uh, uh, Kevin, and obviously uh, nowhere near uh, complete. I, I know from our conversations through the mastermind, the vision is is even larger than than where you are today. I'm going to just kind of, you know, uh, uh, toss that ball in the air. And if you want to jump and spike it, go for it. Or we can we can move on to another question. Well, no, I just I'll just say that. And, yeah. and, and for those listening, you know, uh, I have a, a personal life thesis that is that uh, deep decarbonization is only available uh, with the breakdown of the monopoly utility model in our society. I do not believe uh, that we can um, institutionally shift the utility model to decarbonize itself. It will have to be done for them and by disrupting their business model. So when I say that, I, we at GreenSpark have a you know, core focus of being, a 10-year focus of being you know, the most influential company in the electricity business, the energy business in Rochester in 10 years. And that means, you know, shifting, disrupting, democratizing and decarbonizing the utility infrastructure here uh, in a way that is meaningful and community owned and equitable and all of those sort of things. And so that's my long-term vision because uh, for all we do as deep deployment experts in getting renewable energy into the grid, um, it only goes so far uh, when the institutional power that um, effectuates your ability to take those electrons and deliver them to a consumer uh, is trying to stop you from doing it. And so if you can't break that model, uh, how do we win this um, engagement? Mm -hmm. Well, and that's, that's hopefully inspiring to listeners. And, and I think it's also, you know, uh, an example of, of why, you know, you're a great member of our mastermind is that... It, part of the goal is to encourage each of us to think, you know, more boldly, right? Uh, as well, one of our fellow members says, you know, uh, a little more audaciously um, than, than where our current goals may be, right? Well, I think what's, what's so exciting to me about our group is there appears to me to be this deep wealth, uh, deep breadth of knowledge and wealth of knowledge around how do you create uh capital focused business that can bring capital in to create carbon solutions in the market, right? Mm -hmm. For me and for my experience, I'm the opposite. We've been unattractive to capital as a, basically as a contractor for our 20 year history. And so, but we're experts at, you know, putting this stuff out there. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the learning that I'm so excited to do is how do I combine my skill set with theirs to become a very capital attractive deployment engine mm -hmm. that just like overtakes the opportunity here in Rochester? It's a, it's a business philosophy that is different than many, many, many business philosophies are 
you know, mile wide and inch deep. Ours is mile deep and inch wide here in Rochester. Decarbonize this one place and maybe become an example for the next. Yeah. Uh, and so how do I do that in a way that builds a business, attracts capital, grows quickly enough to deal with the reality of the baking earth uh, and, and, and moves this piece of society forward as something that I feel is a reasonable size for me uh, and my people here to have a really, really profound impact on. Here, here. Yeah, it, um, it reminds me a little bit of the whole um, uh, inch wide, mile deep of uh, one of my uh, uh, very conservative uh, uncles from small town Kentucky, where I grew up. And when I would come back from college, he would joke and say, so you still, you still saving the planet? And I would say, yep, sure am. And he would say, well, can't save it all. As I'm like, you know, I th I, I, the positive interpretation uh, uh, is you, know, you, you got to pick, right? And I, I think what I, what I hear you're saying, and I think it's good advice for lots of listeners is, yeah, look, think big, but th thinking big may not be the, you know, global strategy, right? It, it may be the, the super hyper-focused strategy geographically, but the inspiration that can provide as a model for other, others to do in other geographies can be the broader geographic impact, you know, that's your, that you're after maybe. Well, get, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, two things I'll say is, you know, George McConaughey, who's my COO business partner and best friend of the last 26 years, um, along with our director of customer care, Ernie Pritchard sat in my house in Austin, Texas in, in, you know, 2001. And we tried to figure out what we wanted to do. And we said, you know, well, there's, you know, George W. Bush had just become president and, you know, you have a climate denier in the, in the White House and all of this stuff is going on in the world. 9-11 had just happened. Um, you know, there's wars starting and all this stuff's going on. And, and you know, we could have picked any purpose, uh, but we had some experience in this one. And, 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 you know, George and Ernie didn't study this in college or anything, but like we decided at that moment, like we were going to pick one thing. And this was the thing. And we're going to go after it hard because, you know, focus is important on some level. And so through the growth of our business, we've been uh, able to impact other things as the sort of B Corp conversation indicated. Um, and we're working hard on our DI efforts and all of that now. But all of them are rooted in this one problem. And that that thesis from the three of us has kind of continued to refine as we are all adopted Rochesterians. Uh, and, and now have taken on this little city to say, like, let's go, let's go make this a better place, mm. you know? So, so to me, that's, that, that, that's been a guiding, uh, a guiding thought in 20, 20 some years old. Yeah. I love it. Uh, more on, on, on Kevin, uh, now. So if you, if you had to look back and, and you're meeting, you know, a, a younger, version 10 years ago 15 years ago pick, pick your time frame what, what advice might you uh give uh your your, your younger uh self kevin any any thoughts there I, you know there's some interesting ones um in my head one would have been you know um um you know find a path towards growing sustainably but faster than we did right like our growth over the last five or six years has been exponential. We were the fastest growing company in Rochester a couple of years ago. We made maybe that again this year, um, but it was too slow for me. Uh, 
And so 10 years ago, what I would have told myself really was find a business model that was uh, replicable and scalable. Because when we were in the distributed wind space 10 years ago, we had a business model where every project made, made us gross profit, but we could not put together enough of them mm. uh, to make a business that had uh, net profits, had, mm. had, had real margin. And so that, that would have been the biggest thing that I would have fixed several years earlier than I fixed it to actually create a scalable business was, was to uh, recreate, rebuild the revenue model uh, faster in order to become scalable. Uh, since we've done that, uh, our growth has been um, pretty quick and also feels at this, in this moment, very sustainable um, with a now market opportunity that is supported um, you know, both on the state and federal level uh, with appropriate policy. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Uh, what, what about, uh, Kevin, are there, um, I don't know, ha habits or routines daily, weekly or whatnot that you feel contribute uh, uh, to your success? I don't know uh, how I've developed this, but uh, over the years, the, the number one thing is the switch. And so I have a, um, I, b I believe a strong habit of turning this off. So uh, in my daily routine, I, I get my kids off to school or as it were in the summer camp and uh, I come to work and I'm, I'm a really intense and focused person for um, you know, an eight or 10 hour period during the day. Uh, and then I go home and I'm a really intense and, and focused person on my family for a couple of hours. And I, I drop this, the trials, the tribulations, the joys, the successes even. And sometimes I just kind of, you know, as I'm, as, as, as a, as a, you know, psychologist would tell me not to do, I kind of put it in the drawer and, and put it away so that I can be a dad and be mm -hmm. a husband and live that life because I only have, you know, four hours of that a day in the evening. And, and I got to do that the best I can so that I can come back to doing this the best I can next. And so, um, you know, sometimes that's by, you know, riding the bike and listening to music and, and just kind of like, you know, changing uh, my entire mentality. But I think that that's really probably my most important personal habit is, is that. And, and interestingly, where it came from is uh, when we started the business in 2002, we all lived in a ranch home with our garage was our shop and our office was in the back of the garage. And then we first moved to a farm where our shop was in the barn. Uh, and then we next moved to a farm where our shop was in the barn. And so we all were together. The entire company lived in these places as we grew in the early days. And that was like too intense. You know, it was too intense and it was, it was, it was subject to burnout. And so as we grew up and got families and uh, and those sort of things, it became that that became a really important personal habit for me, and and is is to this day as I will go to uh, little league tonight and and do my duties as a father and all of that uh, in a really intense way because I'm, you know, a rowdy little league fan. Uh, so um, I will I will do that as best yeah. I can this evening, and yeah. then come back and try again tomorrow. Yeah, I like it. I like it. The switch, switching on at work, switching off from work, and and I guess the switch back on to be to be. You know the, the other part, other important uh, parts, maybe more important, of you know dad uh, and husband and and community member. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. A lot of folks, um, I think, in this you know hustle grind mentality of either startups or high growth companies, 
kind of feel like you, you got to put in the hours and you got to be kind of constantly on to, to kind of get there. Um, but, you know, yes, intensity, but this is a, a marathon, not a sprint. And if it's always a sprint, there are usually bad health or relationship uh, repercussions. Well, well, and I'll just make one other point on the matter, which is like yeah. what one of the core values of, of GreenSpark that I, I fought to have as a member of our core values, because I think it's so critically important, is to find joy. I, I, I believe I carry with me a generally joyful disposition into life. Uh, and I, I love my work deeply and I love my family deeply. And in order to find joy in those two things separately, uh, I need to be focused on them. Mm -hmm. And so I, I come back to work after, after my wife, Erin Kate, um, and my children, Arden and Keller are in bed. I'll come back to work. And it's time to do research and to do learning and to do thinking and to do those things. It's not necessarily to run spreadsheets or models or look at the company financials. It's, 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 to, it's to look into what's next. And I can do those other things, you know, during a normal course of business. Yeah. But, it, but it's an important thing, right, is, is, is to find joy uh, in your life. And, and I truly do that. I mean, I believe in the, 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 the Einstein quote, which sits on my desk at home. Uh, from a you know calendar that I've had for 20 years um, that says you know only a life uh, lived for others is a life worthwhile right and so that that quote is like I'm do I believe I'm doing that I believe I have that purpose and so that brings me joy that also brings me joy as a, trying to be a good husband and a good father when I get home at night. Mm. Well, that, that's all uh, well said and, and just to that last that last point. So before, before we, we got on the call together, uh, our youngest, our 10-year-old daughter comes in and, and uh, says, you know, um, the middle child, her brother, well, he's, he's, he's bullying me. And she was upset and, uh, and, you know, I was obviously comforting her and whatnot. <clears throat> and I was like, I was like, I was like, listen, uh, Pepita, this is her, one of her nicknames. I was like, I, you know, in, in, in five minutes, I've got this, this podcast to record. And she was like, well, come on, daddy, which one's more important, like me or making money? And I was like, I was like, well, this phone call is not about making money. This phone call is about, you know, changing the world. And she's like, oh, OK, OK. And she, she walked out with a smile on her face. Um, anyway, hey, you, you, in the next section here, uh, I'd like to give listeners uh, recommended uh, resources. And you, you just listed one, which is a great, you know, quote to keep in mind. So let, let's just stick with the quote. Uh, topic for a second. Are, are there others that come to mind, Kevin, you want to share? It's so cool. If not, we'll go to the books. I mean, if you, if you want quotes from me, just, you know, <laughs> go look up Albert Einstein quotes on the internet, because that's, okay. I, I find him to be the most quotable uh, mind uh, that I have experienced and learned about in my mm -hmm. life. I used to, in, you know, my college days tried to make his theories of physics become laws. And I learned a lot about him. So, I mean, you know, there, there's a, there's just a wealth of Albert Einstein quotes out there that I would uh, think are, uh, that I think are super relevant uh, to here, here. today. Um, so I would, I would tell you that there and not, you know, and leave it, you know. Okay. That's a, that's a, that's a very easily Googleable uh, task. <laughs> right. For, for that's listeners. right. Yeah. I, I would also just joke and say that I'm guessing there are many quotes that are actually not Albert Einstein's, which now are linked to Albert Einstein because he's a pretty quotable dude. Right, that's um, right. <laughs> anywho, anywho. How about uh, how about books, Kevin? Maybe 
maybe books you're staring at on your bookshelf somewhere or things that you recently uh, read or, or hallmarks, you know, for how you, how you operate? So the, the, the book that's most relevant to me right now, and you know that I'm working on this, is we are at GreenSpark in the process of converting the business to a worker-owned cooperative. And so uh, the company we keep is a book by a gentleman named John Abrams, which is a founding you know, uh, book for the worker cooperative movement. Um, it's probably 25 years old at this point uh, or more. And uh, so that, that's my most recent read, uh, reread, I should say. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, for me, there's a number of other books I'm looking at in terms of other different ownership structures that are, are meaningful, but that's the one that I would put out there for, for people. I think, um, the concept of, um, worker ownership, uh, a, a culture of ownership in the business and the value people could get if they were willing to share in the ownership of their business is, is tremendous and meaningful. And so I would love to, to have more people uh, focused on that opportunity. So I'll leave you with that one. Cool, for sure. A, a, a book as well as a, a, a mode for sharing equity and ownership, um, literally and figuratively. Well, uh, it, it, yeah. it makes you realize how literal I am. Like I'm, I'm <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I'm different in some ways than, than some of the other folks in our group that I think spend a lot more time on metaphysics and, and spirituality and other things. For me, I'm like very, I'm sort of very direct. And, um, you know, what, what, you know, if, if, if you had asked me that question six months ago, there's probably a different answer, but that's where yeah. I'm at today. No, it's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, I mean, I, and I, I think, I think to, to many listeners, you know, a worker owned co-op is something they've never thought about. Um, so really a, a good, uh, uh, you know, trajectory to consider other ways that your, your employees are, well, are not just motivated, but really kind of take advantage of uh, the growth they're helping to, you know, to create. Right. And it, well, and it, it's the, the concepts right in the political campaign, you heard Joe Biden talk about the primary form of personal wealth is to own your own home. Mm. Right. Well, well, I don't think that that should be all right. Mm. Why not own, mm. why not own the business that you do every day? Right, mm. you know, build personal wealth and 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 distribute that um, uh, appropriately for the effort you put in for that entire significant portion of your time on this planet that you're going to work. You know, you should be building your personal equity via that as well, and that's 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 one of the reasons why it's meaningful to us. That's great advice. Um, last recommendation: Are there are there podcasts uh, that you listen to and would recommend, Kevin? The, the Evolution of the Energy Gang is probably my favorite podcast, which yeah. probably is not surprising. Uh, the other, I, I love Freakonomics. Uh, you know, there, there's a number of good ones out there. Those are probably the two I listen to most. Um, most of my podcast work is involving Philadelphia sports because that's, uh, you know, like the time I actually get to, to, to do that. You know, that's a, a time of separation. That's one of the ways I separate yeah. and find joy in my personal life is that. So those uh, are probably two of my favorites. Um, I also spend a lot of time on, um, there's a, a local, I don't know how you describe him. He's an NPR, NPR guy named Devin Dawson is a, um, just an amazing conversationalist. Mm -hmm. And so I use his daily podcast. I don't often get to listen to him on time. Um, but I use his daily conversations, um, as a, as a great way to understand and root myself in the issues of our community. And so I spend a lot of time listening to him. He's always talking about, you know, we've had some turmoil in the mayoral politics here in Rochester. 
um, the death of Daniel, the murder of Daniel Prude um, in, in Rochester last year um, af after the murder of George Floyd has been a, a extreme, made, made the, the um, movement, the social justice movement of the last year extremely close to home. Uh, and so, um, you know, I spend a lot of time listening to him as just a, 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 a person who's having a daily conversation about what's going on here. Yep. Yep. Thanks for those. Well, we're, we're, we're kind of here, uh, Kevin, at the end of our, our, you know, public, uh, chat, any, uh, any, any final, I don't know, words or recommendations or, you know, I mean, what ways folks could, you know, uh, jo join the, join the green spark you know, solar cause perhaps? Well, I, I'll, I'll leave you with this. I mean, if you live here in Rochester, just call, right? We'll take <laughs> care of you. Uh, that one's obvious. But right. I think, you know, generally and meaningfully, um, you know, green energy in, in 2021 in most corners of the United States is cheaper than brown electricity. So like, whether it's economic, whether it's because you're here on the climate torch and like, Get yourself some solar panels, get yourself a community solar subscription, move yourself forward in those regards, electrify things. You know, when you think about purchasing your next weed whacker or chainsaw, get the one with the battery, not with mm. the gas, you know, uh, get an electric vehicle. They're more fun to drive. You know, all these sort of things that I think are to you and I are the simplest choices nowadays. Um, it's, it, it, you know, I want them to become simple choices for everyone. And so uh, as we move forward, to me, it's, 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 you know, call your local and solar installer, buy an electrical appliance, uh, or electrical tool instead of a gas one, et cetera. Just, you know, make, make the little steps that, that are uh, carbon free. And then we all make the big step. Cool, man. Uh, hey, hey, Kevin, we're, we're, uh, we're all rooting for the success of, of GreenSpark Solar and its current uh, exciting version, as well as the bigger vision. And uh, I, I encourage folks to reach out to you. We'll call it. We'll call it a, a day for now. Uh, so thanks, and and obviously we'll we'll be talking. Thanks, Chris. Lots of fun. Welcome to the Climate Torch from Entrepreneurs for Impact, where we interview CEOs, founders, and investors focused on building companies that tackle climate change. We cover lessons learned from failures and successes, insights into funding business growth, book recommendations, favorite podcasts, and much more. My name is Chris Wedding. I'm a former private equity investor, investment banker, founder, and professor focused on climate investment and innovation. I'm also the founder and chief catalyst at Entrepreneurs for Impact, where we support climate CEOs with roundtables, offering peer-to-peer -peer advisory, investor intelligence, and executive coaching because we believe in three things. Businesses grow when people grow. Number two, there's no reason for things to be so lonely at the top. And number three, if you're the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong room. So grab your favorite beverage or hop in the car for the commute and let's dive in.